Welcome to another Forge Side Chat, a podcast about blacksmithing in Canada, the Great White North, eh? And today on the show, we've got Avery Goltz joining us from Ontario. He's down in the southern Ontario. They're making some beautiful knives, and we're going to dive deep into his uh, life story as to what got him to where he's at today and how he's learned to do all the amazing things he does in his shop. So before we get into that beautiful discussion, just want to kind of do something that mo- most podcasts don't really do too often actually i want you to I want you to turn down the volume i want you to talk to your kids right now do your kid do you kids know about heat treating and the benefits of using a heat treating oven now's the time to talk to them MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca is your place to go for heat treating ovens and all the other goodies that go along with knife making supplies. Maritime Knife Supply carries everything you need, including belts. Buy 10, get one free. It's an amazing deal. Quick shipping across Canada and all of North America for that fact. So while you are got your volume turned down, head over to MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca and use the code FSCKILN to save yourself $100 on a Paragon or even heat heat treating kiln now to the show mr avery goltz sir how are you i'm doing well how are you what do i call you uh lando is what seems to be the going thing nowadays uh you know you jump into you know jerk (laughs) poser oh well I'm used to it by now. I've been married for like what ten years or something. I don't even know how long I've been married for, man. You should know these things; they're important. I, apparently, <laughs> me and my wife are a little bit different about that kind of stuff. I don't know. Marriage wasn't hot on our list. Are you married, dude? Yeah, I am. We got married yeah, yeah. Uh, three years ago now. That's right. I right planned before... it 2020, so it's an easy date to remember. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. It's simple, you know. Your uh, your wife have any sort of uh, involvement with your shop or? Um, yeah, she does most of my product photography as well oh. as most of my marketing. Damn, dude. Yeah, it's uh, it works out pretty well. I mean, you can always do more, right? There's never a limit to how much could be done, and not she does amazing work. I mean, I think it shows in the photos. Yep. No, I had no idea that your wife was behind the camera on that, man. That's awesome. Good for you, dude. I wish I could uh, corral my wife into working with me in some sort of way. She's just no interest on her behalf to have anything to do with what I do there, man. Other than yeah. telling me that it, my work's not good enough yet. Right. Yeah, I still get a fair amount of criticism. But that's what keeps you pr- creating like good work is somebody to say that's not quite not quite there enough go shine that up some more get that scratch out you know yeah you need that uh you need that push sometimes or i do at least no it's funny you say that because as much as i can say oh i wish my wife would be involved in the shop more yeah man that that little bit of telling you that something's not quite right 
it goes so far, man. Like, who else are you going to reach out to for that honest opinion? Right? Yeah, would you even listen to anyone else? <laughs> Some random person saying, oh, that's got too many scratches. You'd be like, F you, bud. Get out of here. <laughs> Take off, hoser. Yeah, you, you show me the knife you can make. We'll talk. Right, right. Yeah. For some odd reason, our wives' opinions are like they hit home, right? Yeah. Yeah. If, if they're not happy, I mean, happy wife, happy life. But ah, uh, um, yes. I think happiness comes from a, a bit deeper of a source than that, honestly. It, there's, it's one of many things on the the list of happiness, dude. Yeah. That's how I look at it. You can't, you can't focus on one thing when it comes to happiness. Happiness is a multitude of uh all sorts of uh, man problem it's odd how a pr- a problem can lead to happiness in your life you yeah. know, it's good good to have problems right it is there there anything every, if you look at every opportunity as a moment to grow then your life just kind of goes in one gradual direction where everything is just supposed to happen that way and it it really kind of transforms the way you look at things and how things get done and what what you value, what, what you put time into. I mean, it's a you got to enjoy what you do. You got to find happiness in everything. That's uh, dude, I does that for me. <laughs> oh fuck yeah! I I want to insert that the clip of that uh, little boy singing that. Uh, Lord, I thank you for sunshine. I thank you for rain. I thought I thank you for happiness, and I thank you for pain. Because, like, I'm not a person that believes in the whole religious dogma kind of thing or whatever. There, I'm a little bit different in that aspect to a lot of people. Uh, whether there's a higher being or not, I'm not going to sit here and again. We don't talk about religion and politics on the show, so yeah maybe i'll strive away from that but there is definitely something to absorbing pain and and learning from it and growing from it and being a better person because of it i yeah and um just to as you said bring it back to blacksmithing i mean that's that's in essence how we all learn how to do the things we do is that you you spend weeks and hours and days and months and years trying to do something just to figure out that was not worth the time, effort, or material. But you you gain something out of that, and that that knowledge, that experience allows you to go into the next project. Like I, I had a, I've got a, a buddy coming to help me out in my shop these last couple of weeks, and he's going through all my scrap buckets because you. You know how you just pile things up and like, oh, that's not done yet, but it could be done. <laughs> He's going through going, what is this? What is this? And it's like, well, that's a failed project, but like it could still be finished. But don't throw it away. And yeah, it's hard to let go of the losses, but I mean, that's the whole point, right? That's why they say keep your first product because as long as it's there, you can look back on it and go, geez, I've grown so far. Yeah. No. What's the first thing that got you into blacksmithing? I know you're supposed to ask me that, but no, I, I do. That's I appreciate that because that's honestly part of the basis of our podcast. Is it's not necessarily me bringing somebody onto the show just to interview them. It's a discussion, man. This is yeah. we're we're here to talk about blacksmithing to 
help educate the rest of the people within the community, help spread the word about who you are is definitely one of the the aspects of where we want to go. So no, that's a great question, dude. And by all means, I, I welcome, if you want to ask more questions, bring them on, sure. buddy. Um, so the first thing that I ever made, I think was actually a spoon out of a railroad spike. Yeah. And I still have it. Nice. One of my uh, first projects was a, a railway spike. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, just a blob. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the progression that you see, and you get to watch it as you've, like, after you've done it, you can look back and I get to, you know, seeing all the people make the same mistakes and part of their growth journeys. Railway spikes, man, they ire me. I get so frustrated when I see them, but I get that they're a good starting point. I started on them too. Help me drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you. You know, it's it's unfortunate. You know, Nick has bugged me about this a few times. He's like, "Oh no, Lando, you're a bladesmith. You've sold a knife before." Yeah, but it was a real spike, dude. Like, yeah. I don't even feel like that's like not that's not even a real knife like yeah okay it has an edge on it and can kind of cut things but it's like the the real aspect of of making a knife is when you start understanding the the real science behind the the heat treating i think is what and geometry as well right right you know you're you're making some kitchen knives and stuff like that in your shop the the difference in geometry from what most people are making on a spike knife to that of a kitchen knife is vastly different. Well, I mean, you could make one to have the same geometry. It's just how you want to do it, right? Like there's, there's no wrong way when it comes to moving metal. It's like working with a really hard clay that you have to heat up pretty hot. I wonder about that though, with a spike knife and what we kind of know today is where they rest in their carbon content. If you were to bring a railroad spike to as thin as what you want for a chef knife, is it going to be able to handle that? Yeah. If you do the right process, I mean, you could pack the steel while you're hammering it and work it cold to get the cold work it and harden it that way. You could case harden it to improve the carbon anyways. There's an idea. Okay. I like that. If you're comparing it to mild steel, it's it's an amazing knife. It's <laughs> it's yes. not as great as some of the super steels, but that's you know, and that, I think that's to your point of like learning the heat treating. Yeah, you got to just pick like one known product, pick your steel, and just master that, and then you can start going into the other ones and how they treat. And there's a lot of metallurgy that you have to learn to be a bladesmith by any standard it's quite an intensive program it's essentially why i haven't dove into making knives yet and you know as much as people are have been on my case like you just need to make knives because if you don't you'll never you'll never have those failures you need to have to learn right you know what i i make a fair bit of knives but i don't think that knives are the be all end all i know plenty of smiths around me that they make their living making rune sets and hooks and keychains. Um, you know, art. There's a lot of yeah. a lot of artists around here. You don't have to make like the 
the knife. So I think you're better to stay out of it. <laughs> it's it's you're you're speaking my mind, man. Like fully, and you, but at the same time, as much as I I don't really want to dive into knives because I think the main thing with that is I don't want to get into selling knives. But I would right. love to make some knives for my personal self one day. So I am still diving down the rabbit hole with learning what I need to learn to eventually make myself what I'm hoping is going to be a very nice knife versus it, you know, something that I'm going to look at and just be like, fuck, that was garbage. Yeah, but you got to make the garbage in order to make the masterpiece. Well, like, I don't know. At some level, because you're going to have to, a lot of the skills are transferable and you could, you know, if all you made were chisels, it's, it's really not that different physically yeah but i definitely have i've like okay so i've made a couple of cutting devices if you made knives right. or axes i've i've made a few axes in my time and one of the things they that bladed i've tool. a bladed tool thank you one of the things that i struggle with is you know you see these guys doing their cut tests with a piece of paper and i'm like I've never gotten my blade that sharp before. I obviously don't know what I'm doing when it comes to finishing a blade. Right. Maybe you can give me some hints and tips on that. What am I, you don't know my process. So for you to be like, oh, well, this is what yeah, you're well, doing wrong. All I but... can say is what I do. Um, yeah. So for me, let's say we're working on a chef knife. I grind it to get all the faces that I want and I'll leave, you know, I don't really measure anything, so the small of a fingernail after you've cut it is kind of the thinness that I'm going on a on the edge. Oh, yeah. And then when you're creating the edge, the it's really just about moving that burr back and forth as you grind off each side. And slowly, you can see my hands in video, but people listening won't be able to see it. But you're just slowly grinding off each side and slowly getting that burr to form. And then okay. you just have to strop that out. And once that burr gets kind of straightened, that's your actual like cutting edge. Um, you know, Ooh. the geometries they say are like 15 to 25 degrees, but there's no like, I don't think you have to be exact on what degree you're doing unless your secondary bevel outside of that is for something else. Like on an axe, you're going to want a fairly wide angle because you don't need that super fine point. Right. But then on a chef knife, you're going to have a fairly fine or sharp angle. Um, but I use stones to sharpen my knives, like the old water stones and that. And after I'm done grinding, I'll give it like a 400 grit on the belt just to start the edge. And then okay. I'll come back to my water stones and sharpen it out that way. And it's just a matter of going um, on one side until you can run your fingers along the blade and you'll feel the burr against your fingertips. Oh. And you're running, like, backwards against the the, um, the edge. How do I describe that? Yeah, anyway. You want your edge to be most forward of yeah. the work with the wheel running into the edge? Um, No, like, when or you're feeling wheel. for the burr, if the blade was facing down, you'd run your fingers down towards the blade and let them slide off and... Gotcha. As you do that, you'll feel that burr. Yeah. And if you're not getting like a really sharp cut, then you probably just have a large burr formed somewhere or um, 
you haven't cleared that burr off completely. So you can drag it across your fingernail, the uh-huh. blade of the knife, which actually is totally fine, doesn't hurt. Yeah. But it'll as you do, you'll feel where all the burrs and, and distortions in the, the knife are, uh-huh. um, which gives you that sort of like, oh, okay, I got to hit up the tip a bit because it's dragging in that section. Um, so that's one of the ways that you can you know, check your edge as you're going. If it starts to tear the paper, you just got to keep going on it. And okay. you end up with a really like gross thumbnail sometimes. But... <laughs> Or part of it, or once you get to the point where it is sharp, you start getting a lack of arm hair, right? No, I I never cut my own hair. Um, no. Uh, no, I mean we're not going to go into religion here, but I don't. I've come to to not believe in that anymore. So. Oh, interesting. You can tell by my hippie dreads here. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> They're not dreads, but. No, but you uh, got the got a nice. Yeah, no, I don't. Hair. I don't like to shave myself because. I make so many knives when I make them that like I'd just be barren of hair. Mm. And when you forge a fair bit, you, you end up losing the hair up to your wrist anyway. So you're running at a <laughs> vacant lot. Uh, I don't know. I still got, I still got some hand, hand hair going on, but well, you are you using harder then using coal or propane? I use them both. It, I do a fair bit of artworks too. And I find that, Propane's really good for the size that fits in my propane forge. Outside of that, it's kind of useless. Yeah. So that's where the coal is you know, really beneficial. But I've run all of the, the flame sources you could, except for ceramics, just to try them out. And uh, I mean, they all work. I think they're all relatively the same price. You can get cheaper on coal, I think. But I mean, it's... At the end of the day, are you doing it because you have free time or are you doing it because you need to make money or like what's the intent behind your work? Mm-hmm. And propane is just so good for mass production. Right. Sorry, I just dropped something. No, no, no worries. So is this blacksmithing venture your full-time gig? Do you have a job outside of that? Yeah, this is um, this is all I do. I um, It's my full-time gig. I do this. Sun up to sundown. I guess you could say I have a another job, but it's um, it's raising livestock. It's another right. self-employed business. Um, just because I like to be in charge of my food, and I found that eating healthy just makes a huge improvement on my life. So, oh fuck yeah! Try to try to maintain that. I think we got to go like back to the earth a bit. So. What I also try to do in my shop is run as like green as I can. So I'm not, I mean, it's impossible to do with blacksmithing to be green, honestly. You're you're burning coal and oil and steel. So I try to do it in other ways that I'm not, I don't feel like I'm, I'm the worst person on the planet, you know? Try to, try to minimize it as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. There's only so much you can do really, but. Right. I mean, and then, you know, knowing some of the things about the materials, like they're really not damaging their natural forming. They're just going to sink their way to where they're going to go, but kill everything in between. (laughs) Okay. If I go quiet, my mic has effed up and um, you'll have to tell me. No, so far it's been good. 
no, so far it's been good. No worries right. there. Just a uh, software issue, hardware issue on my end. Mm. No worries. So, dude, you're not just doing knives, you're doing artistic stuff as well. What kind of uh, artistic stuff are you leaning into? Right, so I, I enjoy making, like, um, maybe nine-inch tall figurine sculptures. Okay. It kind of started when I... There was a mass submission for the Heardford College of Arts for the 150-millimeter challenge. I'm not sure if you oh, yeah. remember that one. Oh, yeah. Um, so I started... I made some squiggly thing for the first year, and then the second year I made this sort of like G.I. Joe figure, and I was going to have them fully articulating, but I ended up just welding them together and then decided I liked it so much I kept it. But <laughs> since that, I've I've been playing with little figures and sculptures railway spikes are actually going to go back to them they're a really great um piece to make sculptures and faces with because you already have that like large mass on the end yeah then you have the stick that you can hold on to to put a face into that um, yep i have a little like uh, purple helmet warrior that i made a purple helmet warrior yeah okay uh, you'll have to go to my Instagram for that one. Anybody interested? But it's it's basically what it sounds like if you can. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's got his little staff and his got a little checker base of a, like he's a, a chess piece. I'm trying to I remember, just like did... making fun little things like that. Um, did you make one for Can Iron? Uh, no. No, okay. I could remember because I know there was somebody that made, made it around something then. like that for Canner, and I couldn't. Re- I can't remember who it was. I don't know. Um, I don't. What did I do for Canner? I made a leaf, which you were supposed to do something with. Yeah, we were. We were going to get everybody to send in leaves, and we were going to try to make a like a family tree with it, and that kind of. I don't know where that went because I think we had one person reach out to us and was like, yeah, I made a leaf. And it's like, ah, boy, no one else has told us that they've made leaves or tried to reach out to us about it. So it kind of that was one person was probably me. (laughs) Could have been man. Very, very well. I made one for that. Okay. Well, I guess I've got the only leaf on the tree. Well, what's his name? If somebody Uh, listening is, is wants to take up welding that all together. Email Landon. <laughs> well, Ryan Belanger made one as well that was a okay. maple leaf, I think. But I, I right. can't remember if if his intent was to keep it or if he auctioned it off or what. Now I, I totally don't remember. But he had made one as well. I was right. those are the ones I know of. I, if I can remember correctly, my memory sucks. So don't don't hold me to that. <laughs> That's fine. So, dude, I, I got to know, man, like, you're making some really nice knives. There's work that goes into that. It's obviously been something that you've been doing for a while. Where did it start? That's kind of a long rabbit hole. So, as a confused teenager, I thought I wanted to be a biologist. And so, I got a biology degree from Ipsing University here in Ontario. And then I... Quickly, 
when I graduated, I really just sat down and said, like, I can't work at a desk anymore. I can't do research. I don't want to do this. I got to work with my hands. And we have horses on our family farm here. And I watched the farrier come in one day and I thought, well, that's working with animals. That's that fulfills the biology. It's working with my hands that fulfills that desire. And then I basically just wouldn't leave the guy alone. And uh, he forges his shoes. He doesn't just um, make them. So shout out to Sean Elliott here. Oh, nice. Um, he's actually a fairly big name in the farrier community, um, out in Alberta especially, though he's kind Honestly, of fallen I've, off now. I've heard that name before. That Do you know if he's part of the, uh, what is it, the North 49 Farriers group? Um, I don't know. Probably, I, I, if it's a farrier group. Yeah, it's a fairy group out that way. I know DK Smalls is uh, doing a lot of stuff with them, so that's why it came up in my mind. I'll ask him next time I talk to him. Um, so from there, um, shadowing him to be a farrier, I found another farrier, Paul Kleinpace, that I I pursued shadowing again just to get more of a feel for it. And to really be a farrier, according to Sean, you got to go to Missouri or Mississippi. I forget the, the school now. Um, if anyone's interested on what he recommends as this farrier school, I'd be happy to email later. But I just didn't, I didn't want to go that far and I just finished school. So I didn't want to go back into school. And then, you know, you do, you can only spend so much time behind a horse and under its ass <laughs> as a tall guy that you just kind of say, you know what, the horse part ain't for me. So then I got into, I took a course with Daryl Markowitz. Um, oh, yeah. His intro to blacksmithing. Nice. And then from there, I just, you know, it's just, I had a, I had an old rivet forge and a 30 pound or 30 kilogram cast piece of turd that <laughs> I just kept jamming on. And then, um, that pretty well is where I started. Then from there, I got given a shed on my dad's farm and moved things into there, rebuilt the forge, made a, a nice coal forge with a, the old brake drum forge. Right. Um, yeah, I was doing construction at the time too, so I was getting all the like scrap metal nails and trying to make trinkets and things with just like construction bar and rebar and yeah uh, it's funny though like the things looking back that you did and you know rebar snakes were one of the big things that i did a, a fair bit of at that time and then it was one of those things that like i was the only guy doing it and then the next day on etsy there's like seven other ones and i was like <laughs> hey you guys can have it i don't want to compete with you mm -hmm. i don't care about this product um I'm not saying I, I invented the rebar snake, but there right. wasn't many when I was doing them. Uh, from there, I just kept doing more art, taking any order that came across, you know, railings, fences, signposts, off-store businesses, curtain rods, shower rods. I've done just about kind of like every project I can think of. Um, up to even recent, my... Uh, my other farrier friend Joe and I we made a an eight pound steak anvil, which is one of my more oh, recent posts. That's awesome, dude. 
it was so much work honestly like mm-hmm. striking is so much so much fun excuse me it's a lot of a lot of fun to get to strike with somebody and and control the hits and whatever but eight pounds like a sledgehammer worth of material moving around it was it was a, a tough day yeah ended up filming like the whole thing but i only used um 10 minutes of it 15 minutes of it just because there's like way too much time in between and whatever well it's that's one of the hard things about trying to do like the youtube game or just you know if you want to be documenting your stuff for instagram or whatever if you've got a long day that you're documenting the whole thing, man, you'll be filming all freaking day. And if you want to try to start jumping into different angles and stuff like that, you end up taking so much time away from your work. And then the oh, amount crazy. of editing you have to do in the end only to end up with like 15 minutes of footage. It's like, yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I think if you're uh, if you're interested in making video content, you got to recognize that you're making video content. You're not making a physical product. And I've, I've really focused on making a physical product because mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy that, you know, the heirloom quality, the idea that the things that I make are going to outlive, you know, my next few generations at least. Even I... if thrown in a landfill, some of these things will be around for a century or so. <laughs> I think it's awesome that you made a, a steak anvil, dude, because I actually took a swing at doing that on the weekend. I had Gregory Reimer over, and we decided that we were going to try to do that. And even with the hydraulic press, we were right. nope, this ain't happening, man. We just didn't have the time for it, really. Yeah, um, it. I think the next one I do will be on the press. Um, and this one was only mild steel. I, I intend to case harden it. Uh, and yeah. get kind of a usable anvil from it, which I think I'm going to auction at Caniron. Uh. Um, I haven't quite... It's one of those... Another one of those, like, it's so cool, you want to keep it, but you don't... Uh, <laughs> but I really don't need a steak anvil in my house, along with all the other knives and swords and things. Ah, cool to have, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it is a really cool piece. I mean... I sort of had this thought of like if I could make them the right way, it'd be like a good beginner project or, you know, because some people I've found do like camping where they'll like, you know, they they want something to take out on a survival trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you just want to go out hack in the woods for a bit, caravanning, need a little stump anvil, right? No. Oddly enough that you're mentioning that, that is kind of one of the things where I gravitate towards the idea of having one of those is I've wanted to do exactly what you're saying, not necessarily because it's like, oh, I want to do it so bad. I just think it would be super cool to do it and film it and document it and it would be a cool YouTube video. Kind of like one of those content things versus creating something, right? Fly down here. I, I I know how to do them now. I could. I think I could do it better. Well, how far are you from Fergus? Like forty minutes. Oh my god, that's amazing, dude! Fergus is where Canarin is being held this year. If anybody doesn't right. know that, it's on August third to August sixth, Fergus, Ontario. Uh, you can head over to canarin.ca and pick up a bunch of information there. You can register for the event already. 
the organizers are starting to push that information out now that uh, 2023 is upon us and the event is rolling up real soon here. So uh, start to make plans for your your summer vacation to head to Fergus, Ontario and do some blacksmithing with some of Canada's best. Peter Braspinicks will be demonstrating there. Matt Jenkins will be demonstrating there. Brad Millman will be demonstrating there. And from the sounds of it, Avery Goltz is going to be there too. So go and yeah. check out some of your favorite blacksmiths. <laughs> Good shout out. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty excited for Can Iron. I, I missed the uh, the last year one you guys put on with the digital was great, but it just I feel like in person events are just way, way better. Oh fuck yeah, dude! The only reason we did that was because the in person event got canceled. I yeah. don't think those virtual events hold hold any weight compared to an in person event. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to go to that. I think that, that that'll be a good show. I know that there's a lot of hype for it in, in the Ontario Blacksmith Association, yeah. OABA, which they have a, a meeting coming up in February at Waldy's Historical Museum. Um, free to go to. Helps a, help support cause. You can bring a couple bucks. They do like an iron in the hat raffle. What, where's the event at? Uh, it's in... Milton at Waldy's Historical Blacksmith Shop. Waldy's. I'm not. A, yeah, Waldy's with a D. I'm not affiliated with them, per se. But um, why not? I know they they like the turnout. This is usually the the event that gets the biggest turnout. So bring bring comfortable clothing if you intend that. For Waldy's, you're saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's usually their big the biggest event because it's kind of the first one of the year. Okay. Well, um, Connor and I uh, believe that you may want to dress appropriately for as well because August third to sixth, it's going to be damn hot down there, dude. Eh? Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> you like the heat. I I don't think you can work by a fire and not enjoy the heat. You know, it's it's funny because I think that's it's changed me, dude. In the last yeah. say, well, since I started blacksmithing. Yeah, man, I've I'm like, dude, where's the where's the beaches at? I'm like, I kind kind of want to be warm here, and wintertime rolls around lately, and I'm like, I don't want to go the fuck outside. I've like almost completely quit snowboarding unless it's like warmer than minus even minus ten. I'm like, eh, I don't know, right. it might be a wuss. I don't know. No, I I think it it does have an effect. I mean, I really don't want to be out when it's cold. I don't have a heated shop, so when it's cold and I'm making knives, I'm just dipping my hands into ice water for the day. So it really it wears on you. But you know, you know, I found... you work with fire, so you just light a fire and stand by that for a minute. I, I was listening to another podcast and uh, Hustle and Grind. They had right. Ira Houseward on there, and he had a small cut on his hand, and he reached into his scarf bucket, and he ended up getting a fungal infection from it that he's still fighting to this day gross yeah so it's something to be cautious of and to be honest i mean i've been getting these weird dry patches on my hand for years now and they they are random sometimes it's over by my thumb sometimes it's on my thumb right now i've got one that's over on the far side of my like by my pinky finger kind of down on my right. palm and it's like Crisis. i've kind of chalked it up to being psoriasis and you know i've 
been under some some stress lately, so I'm thinking right. that cut, you know, cut your sugar a bit. Yeah, eh? Yeah, cut on, well sugar. Yeah, sugar. I believe should be a restricted substance. Oh I fuck! Really... Big time, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. But we're diving into the political thing that we can get over, get carried away with. That's nutrition. Come on, that's different. <laughs> Tell me about your shop, dude. What do you what do you've got for a shop? How big is it? Is it just like slats on the outside and you can see through the wall type thing or Um so it's it's got a like faux board and batten with the plywood backing and it's okay. about I'm going to say 16 by 24. Oh, decent. It's a a shed my dad made for his 50th birthday to be a closet room for the how big a party he was gonna have and then the other half is an old horse lean to that i've butted up to the other one so it's it's kind of an awkward in between size because i have like a wall that shouldn't be there um, to open the space up but i've it's been a organic build as as i was told because it's been slowly slowly building as i've gone i i really only had that like an eight by 12 for, you know, five years or something and did all my work out of that. And then really wanted to get into doing some workshops cause they're, you know, a little bit more consistent, steady, uh, source of income. So I added on this other building and now I do, um, Brian Brazil style horse head bottle opener workshops. I cool. basically run them. They're open every weekend. It's just whether people sign up or not. Yeah. So having a bit more space is pretty beneficial. I'm trying to make it bigger because more people is better. I think yeah, yeah more like a an arena, not an arena. Currently, my max is three people, which it works for me. I mean, I don't. It's great work to just sit around and say, "Get it hot again." It's too cold. Heat it up, and then, oh, how do I fix that? Oh, you do this complicated maneuver that you wouldn't have known unless I were here. No, it's not that bad. It's any skill level. Yeah, well, plug I think my own business here. About uh, getting above three people though might get hard to manage in a shop by one for one person. I've I've done bigger workshops before, and they're not that. It's not that hard. It's it's just a you have to be very concise and clear and find the product that's simple enough that anybody can do it. So it's. I find these ones are relatively simple because it's more about a precise operation than just kind of hitting it flagrantly and not you know, just going crazy, which some people enjoy and they end up wanting to make that sort of mangled piece. But right. um, like trying to make like an S hook or something like that. It, sorry, I'm sorry. Trying trying to make okay. like an S hook or something. It's. Uh... You, you can lose yourself pretty easily on how much taper you're putting into it or something like that, right? Yeah, you can spend as much time as you want on one piece, which I think is a rather rather interesting thought that like you could get lost in perfection. And I think that it's important, especially when you're beginning, to to recognize how quickly and easily something can just be redone versus how much time you're going to spend correcting it. Mm -hmm. And really just kind of move on learn what you need to learn and do it differently the next time don't just sit there for hours and hours and hours 
but we all do it. You always, we all get caught in that, like, oh, just one more hit. Just, oh, it's, it's a little cold, but I'll just keep going just a few more taps, you know. And then you end up. Ting Fairy visits you. <laughs> yeah. The Ting Fairy was that one. When your piece breaks and goes ting. Oh, yeah, don't do that. That's. Uh, leaves are notorious for that. You know, oh, just just a little bit more. I just want to, just a tiny little bit more taper on this stem. And then all of a sudden, pop, there goes the leaf. Right. Breaks, breaks right off. You're going too thin before you develop the, the full head of the leaf then. Um, no. I don't know fully the what your your process is. but Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, like I'll make a leaf and I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's done. I want that stem a little bit thinner though. Right. So you put it in there to try to taper out that stem just a little bit more. And you, so you throw it back in the heat and you, you pull it out of the heat and you can just see that, that, that material was so thin already that that next, that next heat carburized, decarburized it that much more that right. you're like, ah, oh, fuck, she's done, bud. Yeah. That's, that's one of those reasons why I put my cell phone in a, in a toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> so many pieces of metal I've lost because I oh let me just scroll through Facebook for a second oh I got an email oh, and you just like man. it's gone wasted metal wasted time yeah I sorry go ahead well Gregory was over there on the weekend and I threw a piece of copper in the forge thinking that um I was gonna make a little copper leaf out of a piece of copper and I I don't, I can't remember what it was. I was like, "Oh, let me show you something." And I turned around, and while I turned around, Greg was like, "Oh, there goes your copper, eh? Oh, fuck! Of course, duh, copper. It melts in like two fucking seconds. What was I thinking? Walking away from it? Yeah. You if ever you really want to test your patience? Try and forge brass. Yeah. Oh God, you can't even tell where it's at in its heat. Like I think it, I, I go on a two hit routine if i'm forging brass i'll give that's that's the limit two hits get it back to red two hits back to red really wow yeah like it's you have to if you think it's gonna crack it's already cracked so you just do like it's horrible painful but you don't have to do it very often so it's not like anyone (laughs) listening if you do brass work power to you Is have you ever played with silicone brass? Um, that would be bronze. That's a different oh, alloy. Um, I played with that a little bit, but it's that's actually easier to work because it holds the heat just that little bit more. Okay, it doesn't want to crack as much. And that's uh, I could talk about. That's one of the recent things that I've been working on. Is there's a, a local guy here, Crag and Rock Studios, John Ferugia. I hope I said that right. And he does. Um, full-size statue bronze casting um, so it's you know lifting the last one we did i've helped him on the last four of his three of his pours and each pour was three casts and each cast was about 100 pounds of bronze so we did like you know it's been like 1200 pounds of bronze now wow and it's you know it's really fascinating because to me, that's the interesting part about it is the bronze pores, like the super cool hot part that you get to see this, like, it's almost like Terminator 2 and it's coming out of the, um, 
<laughs> when he's running, you know, he's turning it yeah. into like, yeah, it's, it's very close. He said uh, melted aluminum looks exactly the same. But, oh, yeah. You know, how many hours he spends carving the wax and forming the, the clay and then casting each of those steps to have a mold that he can then cast, melt out the wax, and then pour with bronze. Like, there's months and months into just being able to do the pour and then there's like a 10 minute pour and it's this really like do or die moment so it's there's calls it concentrated choreography it's really it's such a different beast from metal like iron work but you know the alloys and heat temperatures you're it's kind of the same deal like in a lot of the other regards oh yeah but he does he's amazing like um amazing sculptures life-size statues like full depiction really it blows me away i'd like to get more into like life-size statues but that's just a big big commitment i think oh yeah yeah that shit's always blown me away too i've always looked at that stuff and gone like man are they like dumping like a train car full of molten steel into a mold in order to make these things like holy frick dude yeah so like you make you make your wax model full size in wax it's what he does and then he has to cut it up into pieces so that he can make the molds to cover that so then once he has it all poured into bronze he's got to like fit the puzzle back together weld it at the seams and then chisel and grind and whatever to make that texture come back out into Fuck. the material hide the welds right he's very talented uh another mark maker around here there's a lot of great makers in Ontario, but it feels kind of empty sometimes. Oh, man, it's so crazy because I get that feel. Like, it's hard for me to imagine that you get that feeling in Ontario because it's the population is just way higher there than it is in Manitoba. But I, I'll, I'll get that feeling in Manitoba, and then I get into the rigmarole of, of you know talking to the people that are here and realizing like no there is a lot of talent within Manitoba dude it's actually pretty crazy how many talented smiths and and blade makers there are here it's we got a good thing going for us and the Manitoba Blacksmith Guild is really really trying uh to to ensure that we you know highlight all these makers and to to create a group where these people can share their knowledge and get to get to know each other so far, it's it's been a great venture, and uh, I actually just got sucked back into the group. I gave gave up for a year there because life got way too hectic with the move and whatnot. But I'm back on board with the group now. So uh, I think that's uh, that's really important is keeping that public awareness of people at work and even within the community. You know, sharing ideas and resources, and going back to your point about know making knives or not to making knives i think if you know there's no reason we can't all work together and you know if you make buoy knives i don't want to make a buoy knife so i'm going to send whoever i know to you you know and i think that could help a lot of people focus on what they're good at but we all you know we're all trying to make our own too so whatever works Uh for everybody's different right I've had people reach out to me and ask me if I'd be interested in making a knife. And it's like, no, but you can talk to my friend Justin over at Rainy Day Forge. He'd be more than happy to help you out. Yeah, I think that's important. I, 
it's a it's a good practice to see and i think the community is really geared towards that i think so everyone too, seems man. to be relatively well, everyone i've talked to is more than friendly hey, we brought it up a little while ago there during our conversation um i remember exactly where you mentioned something about oils and i wanted to bring sure. up like you know are you using any sort of oils or waxes in your shop i don't know if maybe you've heard of the twiller linseed oil that we are uh, proudly sponsored by and and more than more than proud to support uh the twiller linseed oil is a company out of saskatchewan near saskatoon they grow process and bottle all of their own linseed products and dawson is the man when it comes to getting that stuff to you in your home you can use the code ForgeChat10, save yourself 10% on orders, $50 or more. And man, I I will swear by his products for the life of me. I, I, I'm absolutely sold that these are the best linseed oil products you can get. Nice. Um, yeah, that's a good... <laughs> I'll have to try them. I, I use canola oil for quenching. I know that it's like not the best, but... It's affordable. It's there. I don't yeah. really care about it spilling because it's somewhat of a green substance. Um, it's gone up crazy in price though lately. Yeah, I bought a hundred liters or so when I had to. I made a William Wallace style claymore that ended up being sixty inches long, so I had <sighs> to make a tube, um, a quench tank for that sword. So I ended up buying a, a crap ton of oil. So I don't. I have not looked at what the prices are. I still have a lot in stock. Lucky. Uh, it was kind of, that was a funny experience going to like Zares and being like, yeah, I need like 15 of these two liter jugs. Like if anybody asks why I want this, and it's like, oh, for production metal work, <laughs> like, not to eat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't own a restaurant. No. Yeah. I'm just some guy trying to make a sword. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yes, yeah, so. I was buying mine from Costco because they sell it in like uh, one gallon containers. Right. But I noticed yeah, that... it doubled in price, easily doubled in price in the last couple of years. Right. Well, I mean, it's a it's a commodity, right? People want it. I, True, man. Without, <laughs> I, w I won't eat it anymore. But... Yeah, yeah. I I'm... use it for knives. That's what I use it for. I used to use motor oil, and that's just like, ugh, wow. don't ever. Yeah. I know that, like, yeah, we've all done things for a dollar, but don't do that. Actually, I used uh, transmission oil way back before I kind of even got into blacksmithing. There was, right. I can't remember what it was, but a couple of us at work, it was it was a spring for an old truck is what it was, and it had lost its lost its strength and the guy that at work who's like can we you think we can reharden this and the other welder were workers like oh yeah to harden stuff you just gotta heat it up and quench it in oil and then somebody else was like oh transmission oil is the best stuff to use for hardening that's the way right. it is. there's like a group of five guys standing around a little tin of transmission oil getting something red hot and dunking it and going yep that should do it <laughs> well I, th I think that transmission oil has the viscosity and heat requirements like it I would be so. a good quenching. I think I just so. wouldn't I'd... want to breathe it. Exactly. Extremely toxic. Well, same with used motor oil or yeah. non-used motor oil. It was like, no, don't. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, canola oil is great. You just smell like French fries. I actually spilt like so much on myself the other day, but smell like French fries. So yeah, it's not that big of a deal. You got to be careful if you get that on your clothes. Apparently, uh, you don't want to be throwing that in your dryer because it can cause an explosion. Hey. Oh, nice. Be careful. I'll, I'll keep that in mind when I get around to washing those pants. That that and oil rags left in a bunch in your shop can instantaneously combust. Is that what the word is? Not instantaneously, spontaneously combust. Yeah. Yeah, no, you got to watch those. I keep them on my anvils because, you know, with the Canadian weather, you get a lot of moisture. So right. having a nice rag on your anvil there to keep the face nice. That's smart. Very and, smart. Uh, this is another shop tip from Daryl was um, if you got an electric shop, you can keep a a light, light bulb on your anvil to keep it warm overnight. Right. Because forging in winter, you know, you're, you lose a lot of heat on those first couple of heats, especially from oh, how yeah. cold that anvil is. <clears throat> I know a lot, of, some people say like, oh, there's really no big difference, but there is a big difference. I, <laughs> when you spend eight hours on an anvil, you, you notice that first hour going really like losing heats immediately to that last hour when it's hot and everything's lasting a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's made me wonder in that regard in, especially for a hydraulic press, if maybe preheating your dyes is not a bad idea. Well, I mean, it's, I think, yeah, if you're going to use like Damascus and you're trying to forge weld something, you'd probably want the system to be warm at least. Yeah, eh? but if you're just doing general forging, then it probably doesn't matter. Right. It depends what you're doing it for, right? Yeah. Well, Damascus for sure, because you don't want to suck that heat out on as you're trying to bring everything together, right? Yeah, you want that nice weld. Hmm. That's a that's a good project for a, a hydraulic press. I just don't <laughs> I don't do enough of it. You have I made this press. Oh. It's the log loader. Oh. Or a, Oh, log press split. Oh, Avery, tell me about your tool. I mean, uh, uh, tools. Tell me about your tools. Well, you know, I swing a 12 pound sledgehammer for eight hours. Hey, <laughs> Jack. No. Uh, What's yeah, your you want to know hammer? about my tools? I got, my favorite hammer is a three pound, some amount of ounces. Um, it's actually one of my great grandfather's hammers. Oh, dude, um, that's awesome. Yeah, when I got it, the the face was like all chipped and torn apart, and I said, oh, "I'll just weld that back up." So I I did, and it works pretty good. I so I and then I reheat treated it so I'd get the faces, whatever. Um, yeah, if it's a super chipped hammer, it seems to work okay just to weld it back in. I know that's not like the most ideal, but when you say weld it back in, like MIG weld it back in, or I think I stick welded. Yeah, okay. just filled well, the voids and ground it off. Depending what stick you use, they, yeah, I I didn't think very, about that when I did it. <laughs> I just I, filled it. In. I think it's like seventy eighteen can give you a pretty decent hard surface. If yeah, it was only on like the outside edges, like you're not hitting surface spots. Well, and you don't you don't the, want a yeah. hammer to be crazy super hard, anyways, right? No, you want it softer than your anvil. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You learn that the hard way. I got a, a Brent Bailey hammer for uh, one of the iron in the hats at an OABA meeting. Okay. And it's this four pound cross pin and it's this monster of a hammer. But it's way too hard for my anvil, so I, I never use it. 
S seven, I think, is what he makes his hammers out of. So does he? Yeah, it makes sense. The, the S seven can harden pretty damn hard, man. Yeah, that's it's what good, about a striking uh, anvil? Feel, though. What's that? You use a striking anvil? Uh, I have one. It's you know you use a tool for the the process you're working on, and if you don't have like a set thing, like I make what I make. Again, I do a lot of custom work. So if somebody says I want this thing, then I make that thing. Then you end up, you know, I think Valhalla Ironworks says it, tool up or die, or that might be yeah. Niels fan. What's oh, Niels, that's Niels, yeah, Vandenberg. Yeah. And you really, you got to tool up or, or die. There's there's no limit to how many tools you can have as long as you got space for them. Oh, God. It doesn't take long to fill that space up either, dude. No. I'll tell you all about that. Yeah, and then you just get more space and more tin cans and more <laughs> hammer racks and thong racks. Do you what, do you? what are you running for an anvil? I've got a hundred pound cast something. It's got a bit of a what do you call it? Church window on the front. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I I don't like have any fancy anvils. I don't. I care for one. I just don't do it. You know, like you. It's that challenge of making your income from what you work and then having things to spend it on. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, you're, I'm choosing to spend my money on keeping myself going and having some fancy new tools. Right. Um, but, you know, obviously, when things come about, you get get the things. Yep. And I've been extremely lucky with getting... The anvils that I have are actually decent. You know, there's a, a lot of people talk about how cast anvils are kind of like garbage and why would you ever want to use one and mm, i disagree you disagree i think cast down and well cast iron oh yeah cast yeah. steel i mean cast steel though that's you want a cast steel anvil in my opinion yeah i've had great luck with one. you know the one i've had for seven years came beat up anyway so it's not my first anvil was a 60 pounder well, the nice thing about a cast steel anvil is you can just weld up the edges on it if you're chipping or whatever on it. You right. start running into a Peter Wright that has a, a wrought iron body and a tool face top to it, and you start re- yeah. wanting to weld on that. You're, you you got to make sure you know what you're doing, man. Yeah, for sure. I'll leave that to the pros. Oh, not for me. They're, they're such a funny tool because, like, I just bought a new one for my workshops and it's amazing to have an anvil, one of the like biggest coveted items of the blacksmith shop. And I don't intend to use it. That's such a a strange feeling for me. Like I bought this thing that's not for me. Yeah. Well, it is because it's for your students, which. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've got, I've got a little 70 pound anvil that I've, I've got it hidden away, tucked away that I'm holding onto it for the day that my daughter is old enough and shows interest that this is something she's willing to take on. It's it's there for her, right? Nice. And then you uh, do it. The, the other thing that you know, the reason I brought up the striking anvil is honestly, I like I have a four hundred pound Peter Wright. I use my right. striking anvil more than I use my Peter Wright, dude. Yeah, I mean, when you have the thing with the right, I have a striking anvil too, and I 
that's what my swage block fits into. It's the only hole that I have for a mount for that. Okay. And yeah, it ends up being the tool I use pretty regularly. And it's a nice flat face. You can do your knife work on it. Yeah. For a lot of things, it's it is a better tool. Uh, is that your your striking anvil? Is that your homemade welded one you sent me a picture of one? Or you posted and I I think I yeah. commented on the post. That would, that would, I've well I've only made two in my time so far and one went to Steve Dupra and I have the I have the one at home that I've made myself. Right. Yeah, that looks like it would do exactly what you needed to. Essentially, I mean. The one I made for Steve Dupra doesn't have a hardy hole on it. I put a one-inch hardy hole on the one I have, which right. comes in extremely useful. I'm like all the all these flowers I'm making right now. I'm doing on the striking anvil because I can sit at it. Right. I'll pull up a stool. I'll, I I have to ri- raise the stool up a little bit compared to like where I like to sit super comfortably on just do whatever for the stool. So I sit up a little bit higher, but saves my back so much for all that fine work on doing a rose like you're sitting at a rose doing doing texturing it's like ting 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 and then you roll it ting 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 and you do that like for an hour or two your back gets fucking sore from being hunched over the anvil right yeah i i i'm a strong believer in high anvils i think yeah i mean i studied a bit of like what the germans do and all of their anvils are like almost at their belly button, which is opposite to what a, a lot of the yeah. American style, which is the farriers like their anvils at their knees. So there's this like yeah, big, that's... big gap. And I, I yeah, you got to stand up straight. You got to be comfortable. You got to sit in a chair, sit in a chair. Yeah, I, oh. I, the Rose is one of those projects. I, it's on the list, but I, I just haven't got to it. Uh. You know, well, and that's one of the things with me doing it is I feel like there's already enough guys out there doing it that I was kind of reluctant to dive into doing it. But now that I've done it and I'm happy with the end product, I'm going to keep doing them because uh working out for me very well. But right. you, I know there's... What do you there's... sell your roses for? What am I selling them for? Uh, yeah. Right now I'm doing... So it's kind of I probably am going to have to change it because right now I'm doing stainless and copper for the same price point and I think the copper should probably be worth a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Although stainless is almost equatable in price. It can be. Stainless is expensive. It it's well, it isn't, it's, isn't it, it? I guess steel's cheap as hell, so. It depends on the gauge you're going for and stuff like that. And then you also have to watch out when you're purchasing what finish that steel has on it. Because if you're worried about buying something with a brushed fit or if, if you're going somewhere and they're like, and they don't explain to you that it's got a finish to it that, you know, like for example, a, a, a polished finish, a mirror finish versus a, uh, a brushed finish versus no finish, right? You're right. going to be paying more for that brushed finish or mirror finish, which is, totally fucking pointless to buy that shit if you're going to be blacksmithing it right away yeah yeah but why buy polished steel yeah exactly right i was gonna try to plug you and say buy your buy landon's uh roses if you're listening to this but (laughs) give them a sales bit i appreciate that right now they're going for 120 um as a simple rose uh i still put the like the five star whatever Where, where does somebody buy that from you oh my god buddy uh dm me uh, i don't have a DM website me. or anything yet what about you dude what's 
what's your Instagram? Do you have a website? Where are you at with so, all that? Um, my Instagram and my Facebook is Bloodhound Ironworks at Bloodhound Ironworks. Um, one word. I have a website. I might be BloodhoundForge.ca, but I think I tried to cancel it because I rebranded to Bloodhound Ironworks. So I was. I don't think I put the new website on yet, honestly. Okay. But my other website was goldsknives.com. Um, one word, no hyphens. Just G-O-L-T-Z-K-N-I-V-E-S. And that's where most of my products are. I also have stuff on Etsy. I got things everywhere. I And I do a lot of like, um, what do you call them? Craft show type things, markets. Yeah. And, you know, those are great for anybody getting into it those are a great way to get into the scene and usually you can strike the deal of um they'll pay you to demo or at least cover your vendor cost if you're going to be an attraction there so Mm. you can get paid to just spend the day making things talking to people saying what you do and whatever you don't actually have to like sell anything so if you don't have like time to make products because i did that for a few years you know working a full-time job and then you like i i eventually got to this point where i could not stop like i everything else in my life just became in the way of blacksmithing and i just was like okay no like i'm just gonna either deteriorate mentally or this is gonna work or i die like there's no (laughs) there's no in between on this i can't can't stop so you know that but that that was a good time I think I made more money when I did it for fun than when I did it as a business. But oh, God, <laughs> I, I can see that too, man. It's yeah. But then like that also comes with growth too. Cause like a lot of people, I I've been really studying business lately. Cause I like, you're going to be a business. You should be a business. You got to know business ethics, marketing, yeah, all of that stuff. Advertising like is you don't have a business if you don't do half of the things. Right. And I see a lot of guys, not to criticize other guys i guess but i don't think you can do it all online i think we we have this idea that online is the savior but it's really not the all end all you got to do the face-to-face you got to talk to people yep that's how you get get anywhere i think no i i totally agree i was at the mall during christmas season there was a store at one of the malls that's called uh love local manitoba right i was like Everything in there is all Manitoba made by local artists and stuff like that. So I approached a stoner, st- store owner and <laughs> I said, hey, stoner. Yeah. Probably the one in the same. Yeah, <laughs> that was me. And then yeah. uh, <laughs> walked into the wrong store there. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mentioned that I make roses and showed her a picture and she's like, wow, it's awesome work and I'm super interested. Send me an email and we'll see where we can go with this. So. Yeah, hey, work, that's and that's on. the other side you got to do. You got to just go out and say, "Hey, you want to buy my thing?" <laughs> yeah, it's awkward at first. Like, there's definitely the learning curve to, to how to sell something. Yeah, mm-hmm. trying to figure out like what that. First, you got to know what you're what you want to sell. Then you got to know how you can make it to sell it. Mm-hmm. Then you got to go sell it. You definitely can't do it all on your own. Having help makes a big difference. Ah, dude, I, I, that's kind of the discussion I've been trying to have with my wife lately. Like, look, you know what? I, I can do this on my own, but if you helped me, 
holy frick would this explode man and i've tried to tell her the same thing with her business she runs a cleaning business and it's like you know you need a hand with you want me to go drop off flyers for you one night i want to see your business do well so i'm here to help you right yeah Uh, trying to convince her to jump on board with me has been like pulling teeth man (laughs) yeah i i mean at some level it's they're they're on their own journey so they get it i mean we all are so you got to find what what works yep but you know you shouldn't just offer things my my family has a few sayings and one of them is if you see something needs done do it so you know you think she could use help that way go go do that make that two minute stop down the road you know drive my wife loves collecting furniture so it's let's drive over here to buy some dressers we're gonna sit on for a few months (laughs) (laughs) no I, i i definitely like any chance i get i'm mentioning my wife's business to people i've got a stack of cards in my truck i'll hand them out to people that i meet and stuff like that i right yeah, I try to help her out as much as I can. And she does. She'll mention to everyone she knows what I do and that I'm I'm starting to do really good lately and that she's absolutely amazed by the work that I do all of a sudden. She did You know she, how much effort goes into convincing the people nearest to you that you're actually like where you're supposed to be? That that's been a big struggle of mine. Right. Right. You know, trying to get the but you have to also just ignore everyone else and and really just focus on what you need to yep. do. Yeah. And uh, I got called a sigma male the other day, and I don't really know what that means, but apparently <laughs> it means I just don't care about anyone else. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I know you are not that person because you have been kind enough to reach out to me multiple times now since I've known you um, with kind words advice willing to just chat you've been a good dude to me man so i i i don't believe that that's you but well no i like i i honestly think you you reap what you sow so you know if i see somebody struggling i i definitely want to lend a hand i think you know what's the point of living if you don't have anybody to share it with so you Mm -hmm. might as well make the best of the people in your circles at least and like yeah we we all if you grow i grow it's we're all in this together so yes yeah but i see the need for competition because that that does further a lot of things so Mm -hmm. i i get where you can get into that like but yeah who knows so you're in manitoba get some cleaning done by what's the company absolutely spotless Absolutely spotless. Link and number in the bio. <laughs> it's uh, funny how you have to say that stuff now, though. Like, uh, you got to prompt people. That's one of the big things about marketing. Is it? it yes, totally. The, the more simple it is from A to B as a consumer to buy product, you got to really make that so so easy and explain it in such simple ways and leave it right out on the front door if you want my thing this is how you get it and you know the more clear and easy and fast it from start to finish that process the i think the better your business can be like mcdonald's i used to work at mcdonald's and it's a 
60 seconds is what they want from when you place your order to when you get your product. That's crazy. 60 seconds. You think about that? Like they start the clock as soon as you're walked into that drive-thru or into that building or whatever. Can you imagine doing that for blacksmithing? 60 seconds. Make a hook. 60 seconds. Dude, you know what, man? Tim Hortons has pissed me off with that so much lately because they've jumped on that bandwagon. Bandwagon. I'll pull up to the window. There'll be no one else in the drive-thru. And you can just tell that the it's obviously their time basis. Oh, oh, your bagel's not ready yet. Can you just go around the corner and wait around the corner? We'll bring it out to you. And it's like, for what? There's no one behind you. What am I going around the corner for? Just wait the 10 seconds and pass me my damn bagel. What the frick? Right. Yeah. And then it's, that's where they, they, you get lost in the sock. Was it the sunken cost fallacy? Mm-hmm. Like, they're losing actually five minutes on that guy walking to the car. That's right. why they're behind on that bagel anyway. Yes, sir. You got it, yeah. man. Do you mind diving back to your shop, man? We were talking sure, about yeah. the tools you have in your shop. And I know you were mentioning you have a press. You want to yeah. tell me about the press? So I got a 32-ton uh, black diamond log splitter, brand new from... It's now called PV Mart. Oh, yeah. I think it's called Pervy Mart. Why would you call it? Anyways, the, <laughs> the old tractor supply store. Um, and then I, you know, it was one of those adjustable uprighter flat things. I gas turned powered. it upright, gas powered, propped it up on a four foot table. So the thing's like 10 feet tall, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Modded the, the bits. You know, took some rail track and some some anvils or dies out of that. And then you you just open yourself up to this, like, conundrum of, oh, now I need to make more tools in order to make the things mm-hmm. that I want. And in order to make those, I need to make tools to make those tools. Mm-hmm. And then, Damn. you know, the tools to make tools spiral. <laughs> and then you're making tongs to make those you need yeah. a new punch to make those togs. And, and, then, and then one of the tools that you need to make tools with breaks. So now you got to go yeah. backtrack to make that tool all over again. And oh, oh where then, did oh, the tools go that I used to make that tool? So now I got to make those tools again. <laughs> yeah, just keeps going. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's my, my press. I um, Again, you, I made like, so it's an invaluable tool. And then once you have those tools, you never... Like, it's not like you're going to throw away the different dies you made. Right, so, yeah. And my, my uncle works in a, a steel mill in um, Hamilton, I, I believe. I'm not 100% certain. But he he said that the dies end up costing for their processes, like, you know, 10 to 50 grand for the die for a $2 piece. But that <sighs> die makes million dollars worth of pieces. So it's, yeah. you know, that the value is definitely worth it to, to sit and make that tool. Just have to do the work, which is painful sometimes. Oh, it's but very true, man. I don't think, like, this is definitely a job that you have to, to love in order to do, or hobby or career, or whatever, however people do it. You wouldn't do it if you didn't like it. You know, that... I really wonder about that, you know, because when I was in school for welding, there was some guys in there and I was like, is this really what you want to do for your life? 
you don't seem like the type of guy that really wants to do this for the rest of your life. Why are you doing this? And the, the it always came out. It's the money. Well, in welding, sure. I, yeah. I think there's more money in welding. Yeah. You can fall into some things and get away with doing it for the rest of your life and not love it because of the money. I hope right. blacksmithing is one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, it definitely comes with the lifestyle, but I think that that's like part of the, my dad's big on the romance of it. You know, like if you're going to be a blacksmith, be a blacksmith. Don't, don't be a, a modern machinist and call yourself a blacksmith. You know, live that life where you got a cage of squirrels and chickens on the <laughs> other side of the shop and shovel your coal forge. And, I wish I had know, some like, chickens. <laughs> Yeah, we just got rid of all all of our chickens. Um, oh no way! It's too much work. Really, eh? Yeah, I'm missing the eggs though. Yeah, right, dude. And eggs aren't cheap now. Like they're going up in price. I just saw a thing on the internet in the states. They're like eight bucks a dozen or some shit like that. Yeah, uh, it's crazy how high food is getting. So again, another reason to like grow your own. And I know this is like political, but. If we all just did that, like ten percent of growing, you know, five hundred square feet of you know, garden, mm-hmm. or raising, you know, most town bylaws allow some amount of livestock. If you just, if we all just did that little bit, you know, we wouldn't need grocery stores. We wouldn't. No one would be hungry. World peace everywhere. Just no. <laughs> I don't thinking I, right. Yeah, but. It would at least solve a lot of the like, you know, production issues that we're seeing, especially well, like all these food facilities burning down, and just happiness so that, in general too, right? Like I'm, oh. I'm sure you know that that just dealing with those intricacies, I said that wrong. Anyways, it, dealing with those you know, things you know. in life is <laughs> it keeps you on your toes, it keeps you alive, it keeps you wanting to get out there and make sure your stuff is taken care of. You know, so easy to fall into this loneliness trap when you don't have anything like that in your life. And, you know, realizing I, there's no point to me going out in the yard because it doesn't matter. Whereas if you've got livestock or you've got, you know, a crop of some sort, yeah, it matters. Yeah. uh, You get a, get a greater sense of of worth i feel in growing your own food and and not just growing your own food but being in charge of your own life like that's really one of the reasons i've i've pursued this path and stayed in it is that i'm the maker you know i as much as i'm forging knives or forging swords and sculptures and whatever i'm also forging my own life story Mm, and creating this beautiful this kind of drama that you know Sure, I don't have all the like fancy things, but I don't want them anyways. And, <laughs> yeah. I got I got everything I want. My life is as full as it needs to be. Oh man, that's awesome! And I can dude. sleep till ten a.m. if I want every day. I'm okay. not a morning person. I'd rather work you. like yeah. I, I'm like a ten to eight kind of person. Oh yeah, and that's the yeah. I don't think I could work for another person at this point spoil yourself when you go self-employed for even like two months really scares me it's i I, i've wanted to jump 
jump ship and do it, man. But I'm more scared is the right word. (laughs) No, it's, it is an anxiety and it's like this, like, it's a fear, I guess, of like, will you be accepted? Will it work? Will it whatever? But it, you know, this is a good lesson for anybody interested in, in pursuing this career is like, you don't get to make that call. It's not, you can do anything you want. And I think the world today has really opened that up with the internet. Yeah. And there's absolutely no reason you need to make, well, I mean, this is the problem then, because it becomes a paradox. If everybody could be self-employed and entrepreneur, then that whole consumerist market could crash. But there's no reason why we couldn't all just live within our small communities anyways. Cause like you don't, I don't go outside of my community. Everything is kind of in here as it is. My, I live in the Truman show. I'll, I'll be honest. My, <laughs> my little village here. It's like, you know, everybody's names. They knock on your doors. They, how you doing today? Oh, you watch. I've watched people grow up now that I've been here long enough. Um, where are you exactly? You're, I know you're in Southern Ontario. So I'm in Inglewood, in Caledon. Um, oh, no way. Yeah. You're right by... Right in uh, the middle of it. You're right by Steve, Steve Cornelson then. Uh, Yeah, he's in Bolton. He's just 20 or whatever, 30 minutes away. Oh, shit. That's cool. That's Bad Lama Forge, right? Yeah, man. I was going to try to get him on with us tonight, but he was busy, so he couldn't jump in with us. So. All right. Snuck in, eh? <laughs> yeah, well uh what have you been listening to in the shop lately bud okay this is your music question fuck yeah i I honestly i'm gonna say vivaldi's four seasons i know that's not um probably what most people listen to but say that again for me vivaldi's four seasons I'm going to need you to type that out for me after so that I can add that because I have no idea how to spell that. <laughs> but cool. All right. What kind of music is it? It's classical music. I, I've i studied a little bit of music and really nothing has been written since the 1600s. So today's music uh, is all just beats and rhythms from that anyway. So why not just listen to the that. source? What about art? Has art changed since then? Oh, art is depressing these days. You know, the, the statements people are trying to make are points that I don't think even they capture modern society, but they just like they're so meaningless. We got such first world problems in this country. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> ah, the like, political talks. Ah. <laughs> well, you know what? It's un it's unavoidable almost. Yeah, in, I know. In this, like. Especially you're asking me, me about you. art. I'll keep it about art. But like, you know, with art, you want to make a statement. You want to talk about why you made that thing, why it's important to you, what about it is really driving, why, like, you got to have a purpose to that piece. If you're just making a thing because it looks cool, like, well, what do I want it for? It, yeah, it looks cool. Cool. But like, what's it trying to tell me? Dude, you just and, slapped me so hard with that one. I. I'm sorry. Like, and no, that's the no, funny thing true. about blacksmithing so is true. like, you're, th- this industry is is your your half production, half art, and you, there's like what line or which way are you swaying between that gray line of production or your art? 
know, as a knife maker, it's all production. There's no like flash or fun. I I'm bored as hell making knives, mm-hmm. but they're yeah. a great product. I love the finished thing. I love holding the knife after, but like how long can you send back and forth on a grinder doing batches of 10 or you know, 20 knives at a time? But, you know, something like a rose, yeah, you're doing batches of them, but each step has, you know, something different. And you can go a little bit more flair on this one looks different this way. And, you know, like I just had my student, uh, if you want to call her that, come over last night to do some rose work with me. And that was one of the things we discussed is how many of these do you think I can make before I get sick and tired of them? (laughs) Yeah. For me, it's like two. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Like, but that's where you have to draw the line too and say that like, okay, well, like, you know, if this is going to be your your work, you got to also accept that some of it is work and that, you know, uh, I forget the artist now, but there's a, a video on YouTube and the guy says, and this really, this helped me a lot with motivation is, um, to be an artist, you're the worst is when people love your art but don't want it, and um, and that's worse than when people want your art but don't like it or, or something like that. But if it it really sucks when people love your work and they're like, "Oh my god, it's so great! It's such a beautiful knife," and it's like, "Cool, it's for sale," and they go, "Oh no, not for me." <laughs> well, mm-hmm. It's not that great, then, is it? Mm-hmm. But but that's just building the like name and you have to get trust in, in your name and your quality. And, you know, and one of those things is funny, but human psychology, we're, we're going to buy what everyone else buys because we think that because everyone else bought it, it must be good. And that's why we have big brands and things. Cause Oh, yeah. this celebrity supported this, you know, product. So I think I should have it because I like that celebrity and, celebrity worship man it's it's a weird thing but it sells (laughs) it sells products and and you know trying to find that line of of giving away too many freebies to get your your name and your brand but still it comes after i don't know it's a a weird thing (laughs) i i agree with you so much man you're you're a very deep thinker, dude, and I absolutely love you for that, man, and the discussions we've had amongst that uh, ideology with being a deep thinker. it's. I wish more people had that in them. It's it's insane to me that there's so many people out there that just kind of that that scoff at the idea of, of thinking that deeply, but uh, what can you do? Well, eh? I, I don't think it's like... I think you can only have this access when you're comfortable and i think a lot of people's lives they don't have the ability to get comfortable there's so many stresses on us in in every angle that you know food money they're meant to keep you in that sort of cycle of like what do i i gotta get tomorrow i gotta get next week i gotta get next month i I want these things how do i get these things and i'm just like i don't care about anything materialistic honestly i I don't know why, but it's just like uh, I, don't, I have the ability to, to look beyond that, I guess, because I just don't, it doesn't matter to me. I see that your life, you, you have one shot at this. You might as well do the best as you can. 
and none, nothing in it is coming with you. So this is crazy, though. Okay, do you know how much this falls in line with my music choice for this week? Okay, what's your music choice this week? My and I used it today. This is actually how I found about this song. Was I used it today in a reel? Um, the artist is Elaine Stritch. It's um, it's called "Are You Having Any Fun," and it talks about you know having all the bells and whistles, but are you having any fun? So it's uh, it's an old older tune, but man, it it just hit a note for me, dude. I'll check it out. Yeah, man. Uh, music's a really powerful. Oh, having the right jam can really, you know, I, I, I cannot change my music. I, I listened to Crazy Frog, you know, the, the old 2006 or four. I have a CD player and I want Crazy Frog as my, my song of choice. Today. <laughs> what? Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Put them both. I don't know. I could do both. Sure. Really? Why not? There's something about disco in the in the the metal shop that you know you get that good like ting 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 yeah ting, yeah ting, good rhythm going good rhythm man yeah that's a good working song nice fuck yeah i don't even i can't say i know for sure what song that is dude oh you you'd know axel f crazy frog you'd know it it's like the most <laughs> it's the most like 2002 song all right well it's like, it's up there with Darude Sandstorm. You'll hear it and you'll go, okay. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, you know what, dude? We're getting to a point here where we're going to have to wrap it up. I actually, I'm supposed sure. to go drop my truck off at Dodge tonight for some diagnostic work. So, uh, and the, the kid hits the sack at like 8 o'clock. So, I got 20 minutes to get the truck to Dodge and back home so that the wife can get out of Dodge, here. right? Get, get the fuck out of Dodge. <laughs> Dude, I I thank you so much for sitting down with me short notice like you did today, dude. It's so amazing. I know you've bugged me before about being on the show, and I just I don't ha- I don't have a list of these people that have bugged me. I should because when it comes into a situation like this, it's, oh, there's a list of people that want to be on the show. How would I ask yeah. one of them? Yeah. Well, it's a it's a good thing. I I enjoyed doing this. It's. Again, exposure. And if and before this point, I don't think I would have been, you know, in a mindset that I'm capable because we all deal with that imposter syndrome. But, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go get your truck. It was great talking to you. Oh, thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Uh, do you happen to know the Karukaku? What's the Karukaku? Oh, you don't. Bob and Doug McKenzie... The old uh, SCTV okay. skit that they did at the right. beginning and end of their show, they would always throw out and then you would follow it up with a yeah, that's it. All right, open it. All right, well, man, good day. Yeah, good day, mate.